welcome to For What It's Worth, an introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. I'm a horrible person. You'd leave stuff laying around? Have you heard that there's a new thing spreading? No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. It apparently is very infectious and affects a whole lot of people. Well, we have a choice here. Yeah, tell them what our choice is. What are the choices? Limbago in Idaho. What the hell? Well, at least, you know, exposure is not fatal. But it changes you. It, it, it makes you softer. There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> so in summary, people are awful. <laughs> it's it's kind of true. Some of us have been infected, and now here we are with new ears and a tail and that luxurious fluffy fur. And now you too can succumb to the pathogen, just like our two fools, Nuka and Firebreath. Welcome to Fur What It's Worth, an introduction. Wait a second, this is wrong. I'm not doing this. I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah, what are you doing here? Who are you? I, I, I don't know. Who am I? More importantly, where are my pants? <laughs> oh, the internet. Oh, the internet. So, hi, Nuka. Hi, Firebreath. This is weird. You, this is, you, usually I'm talking to, to, to Sammy or to Rue, so this is, this is different. It's exciting, though. It's exciting, and talking to you, it's been so long. How have you been I, doing? I, we, have to, we have to do a podcast just to be able to talk to each other these days. Yeah, it's so weird. So um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been keeping busy. As it turns out, I've uh, for for those who've been listening for the last few weeks, I've been uh, endeavoring to catch up on on not, not play Darkless for the first time. I've beat them all a whole bunch of times, but I'm replaying through all of them back to back to back in order to uh, prepare myself adequately for Elden Ring, which uh, at the time of recording is coming up in just a couple of weeks, I believe. So uh, I've uh, I managed to beat Dark Souls three, so I'm through the the gauntlet through the trilogy. And uh, ready to go for, for when it drops. Um, beyond that, I, I got a bit of time. So I uh, picked up a couple new games that everyone's been clamoring about. Uh, I've been playing a bit of Inscription, which is uh, uh, trippy as balls. That's all I'll say without spoiling anything. But trippy and I've heard awesome. really good things about that one. It's like, it's like if you played, if you like Slay the Spire, and if you like, I don't know, the horror movies, I think it's, it's pretty, you'll, you'll like it. And then Dying Light 2 I picked up because I, mean, I was a huge fan of the first one. And so uh, I, I waited for a week to see if, if it was going to blow up my computer. And all the reviews seemed to be good. So uh, ever since I Fallout tried the 4, first one. I oh, really? tried the first one. I couldn't get into it for some reason. I don't know why. It just didn't jive with me, whatever. Well, ever since Fallout 4, I, I learned, or sorry, Fallout 76, I learned my lesson about buying a game the day it came out and being horribly disappointed. So I waited a week. People seemed to like it. So I, I picked it up and. And we'll get a chance to play it probably this uh, this evening. So well, well, unpopular opinion. Fallout seventy six is actually good now. <laughs> I, I have to try. It. I'm, I'm going to give it another shot, and then. Well, when you do, tell me. I'd love to go yeah. around with you. For sure. And then beyond that, I've been uh, with uh, convention season season gearing up. I'm looking to make it out to conventions and and figuring out. So with air travel restrictions, it's been kind of a pain in the ass trying to figure out, you know, what are we allowed and not allowed to do, and I might. Uh, I might have to cancel my plans for Furry Fiesta at the moment. I'm not entirely sure. Just because the, the the pain of trying to, to figure out, I think we have to get like the PCR testing before you get on a plane now. And trying to coordinate that with my teaching schedule with my, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. So uh, I can't working, on, working on figuring that out right now. But how about you? How about you, Firebeth? What have you been up to? 
Oh man, things have been both excessively boring and excessively exciting at the same time. So uh, last a few weeks ago, I had the entire apartment repainted, which was why I couldn't make it to the round table because I had no equipment. I was not in my apartment, right? <laughs> it's hard so with because you, you were, it seemed like you were, you were out of commission for a little bit because of that. So Yeah, it was supposed to take a week. It ended up taking two because the painters did something they derped or something and they screwed up a lot of stuff. So like, yeah, we're going to have to redo this. We're sorry. Uh, all right, fine. You know, <laughs> not much I can do. So that, that happened. Uh, I've been playing Temtem in the meantime, if we're going to speak about uh, video games, which is basically a PC version of Pokemon. And oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still in early access. And I usually steer clear of early access games myself, but I have to say that so far, this game has more content and is more stable than a lot of released games that I've played in the last few years. So that's really nice. That's really for nice. nothing but good things about it from my, uh, my friends who play it. So, Yeah, the multiplayer is a little bit weird. Uh, I've played with a friend of mine and we were both like, okay, this makes no sense. Or this can get, I can see this, this working in certain instances, but it can also get very, very boring very, very quickly the way they implemented it. I'm not going to go into details, but uh, hey, Temtem guys, if you're listening to us, uh, hit me up. I'll love to give you some feedback. <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, I haven't been playing a whole lot of games recently, unfortunately. Uh, however, I've just re recently joined Bark, which is like a furry meetup slash dating app that's replacing Howler. It's slash, just like... slash root beer company. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're not they're not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting, and I'm I'm still unsure. But it's one of those things. Where I'm like, hey, I have to get to put myself out there again. Apparently, according to my therapist, I'm like, yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it. So yeah, it's 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 that's basically how uh, how things have been going on my end. Otherwise, it's work work. That's good. Yeah, it's uh. I guess I guess maybe we ought to. Uh, I mean, I know he's not here, but do you remember where we left Rue? Well, I, I think he caught COVID, so we. I, if I remember, we put him in the basement for isolation. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I I I totally forgot to check on him. How long has he been okay. down there for? Oh, oh gosh, uh, way more than two weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, we should probably uh, check this uh, check uh, check up on him. What do you say? Yeah, poke him with a stick and check for signs of life at least. All right, let's poke. Welcome to another moment where we reflect and think about the cookies that we have in our lives. Today's cookie states, devotion will make you feel more complete in bed with a cookie. Yes, devotion. Devotion to me, Lucifer. Or devotion to the cookie. What is it? He sounds fine. Um, well, I guess if you leave a cookie-loving fox in a basement for more than a week, they're going to start making a cookie-based cult? Spooky. I don't know, man. That's scary <laughs> stuff, but it's uh, I'm all for cookies, personally. Put them in my mouth, please. Yeah, I said, leave them down there for a few more weeks and see what he comes up with. Oh, gosh. That's a scary thought. <laughs> So on this, I guess uh, it's, uh, it's it's time for a quick break, won't you say, uh, Nuka? I think so. 
They find hey, some shit got off. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I need to get some, uh, some calming moments, like some water, ocean sounds to calm from that cookie moment. Something zen. Yeah, let's let's call it like that. All right, so uh, let's go for a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, our guest. Fire breath. So me, why am I speaking in the third person? You're not used to having this much control. <laughs> it is mine. I've never seen someone go so mad with so little power. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Come on, give me a break here. No, wait, we just got one. Let's not go on another break just yet. So today we have a uh, nice friend of mine who uh, I like to call Head Sticks or Toy Store because of what grows on his head. So, uh, hi, Moosey, or be, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> well, it's it's pronounced Be Creative, but you can just call me Moose. It's probably simpler. Uh, e, Moose, hey, you, it all works. <laughs> actually, I have a friend who's called whose last name is you, and we always call him Hey You, so I'm not going to do this because it's going to conf- confuse him otherwise. All right, Moose so, it is then. Moose it is. All right. So, uh, well, Moose, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, boy. Um, well, I found out about the free fandom when I was in high school. Um, boy, tell me about myself. Yeah, I found out about free fandom in high school, and I immediately dove into fan fiction and transformation stories. I participated in some uh, transformation groups on DeviantArt to some very mixed results. I uh, had a lot of fun that way. And while I was in high school, I also loved biology and chemistry, sciences, which I just found that really, really cool. I and can get I was behind also, that. Oh, yeah. And I was Gee, also writing a story. <laughs> the idea was good. The execution was poor of a virus that took over the world and transformed everyone into furries. And since a I found... A nightmare scenario. Oh, nightmare. For various definitions of nightmares. And then I decided to go into biochemistry in university because that sounded really cool. And it would help me better make up some scientific mumbo jumbo to make the virus more believable and more realistic. I thought that was going in a totally different direction. I thought you were going to say, oh, I went into this so I can make that happen. <laughs> well, yes, see, that, that was the plan after the PhD. But uh, after the bachelor's, I realized, well, maybe we're not quite there yet. Um, I kind of stopped most free stuff when I was in university, just had a lot of fun meeting new friends and a whole bunch of stuff until that one fateful year hit in 2016 and Zootopia came out and that reignited the free too. Oh, so bad. It got me so bad. Um, and since Zootopia, then I got back into the furry fandom and after I graduated, I started attending some meets in person. I've gone to three conferences total so far, loved every single one of them. You uh, nearly clawed your way out of it. <laughs> and uh, then it I just got it, its hooks. 
I think it's important to say for our viewers or listeners, I should say that uh, Canference not con- not is a uh, uh, convention in Ottawa. Yes, which Canada. is a city in Canada, <laughs> which is the country above the United States. Okay, this is supposed to be a podcast, not a geography lesson. You know. Oh shit! Right, this is like that's... the first time where the, the podcast has been completely run by Canadians, like guests and hosts and everything. We're taking, over, actually, eh? we're taking over. This is now a Canadian podcast. <laughs> yes, success. Next up, the glory of poutine. Oh, that, that, that's glory, period. There's no next. It's always been glorious. And this part's uh, never making it to air. This part is going to be just completely cut open. <laughs> of course. And the, you know the part that's not going to air is the next one, which is me starting to sing, which is, you know... Our country reeks of trees. Our yaks are really large, and I'm gonna stop singing now. <laughs> I thought you were gonna start singing the O Canada. Well, that's that's the, the that's a version of O Canada. Oh, I have to look it up. Oh, 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 Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> <Co-o-nada. laughs> so, so why don't you tell us what the topic today? <laughs> Yeah, I think at this point we should probably. So uh, in case uh, people haven't understood yet, we have a second scientist. I'm the, I'm the non-scientist one here. It's kind of scary. Uh, so we have a second scientist on board right now to talk to us about, well, the pathogen. You know, the pathogen uh, spreads. <laughs> exactly. And we're not talking about Zootopia in this case. Oh. So uh, there's been a, 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 a... I don't know if you heard about this, guys, but there's been a health crisis around the world for the last few months. Go on. Nothing major. Nothing major. Very minor. And there's been a lot of research done on a various number of topics and things, you know, things, topics uh, related to biotechnology. And there's a few things that came out that uh, Moosey here will be able to talk to us because apparently there might be some interesting developments that would have potential furry usages which is really interesting mm-hmm. so I, I i from from our discussion i think i should start asking you this question because that's the first part of everything is you know the the, the whole vaccine things how do they work do they do things let's find out nope vaccines are creation from the devil and the only thing you need is faith in furry jesus i'm well, joking i long suspected that might be the case <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um yeah well there's there's a whole lot of really interesting things going on in the world of biochemistry gene editing and all of that because for the first time it did forever it's never happened before we are getting better and better tools for gene editing uh one part of that we'll get into that and explain it later is crispr cas9 and the one thing that the topic that's on everyone's minds right now is the mrna vaccine and how it's much better or different uh, but a lot of people don't quite understand how those things work. So I thought that I'd yeah. just give a quick, you know, quick science breakdown to explain why this is so amazing. So how about that? Yeah, because I, I know the gist of like the most basic of vaccines. Like, you know, the, the gist behind, oh, you, it's my, my rudimentary understanding is a, is a fake scientist, a psychologist. <laughs> is the, gist of, the gist of vaccines is you get injected with some dead or dying version of, of a, a pathogen. Your body gets some practice beating the crap out of it and then you're you're suddenly stronger the next time you fight the real thing and i i always just assume that all viruses or all vaccines sort of work that way is, is that not how the new one works that, that's pretty close to how it is yes uh but the, okay. the interesting thing is understanding how exactly 
I have to go a bit more in the details to see why the mRNA vaccine is different. Because um, unlike a lot of things with bacteria and whatnot, the fun fact about viruses is that they're technically not alive. When you have a virus, it's a viral particle. It just sits there. It does nothing. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't eat. It doesn't reproduce. It's just a little package of genetic information. And the way for a virus to reproduce is it has to go inside of your cells, infects it, and it hijacks it. Because your cells have a whole bunch of molecular machinery in it for it to breathe and eat and reproduce and all that. And the virus takes control of all of that, hijacks it all, stops the cell from doing what it does. So the virus can replicate itself over and over and over and over and over again. So say a single viral particle gets into your cell, it can replicate itself like a million times. And then your cell bursts, and then you have a million viral particles that go out in your bloodstream and spread throughout your body. And do it all again. Yes. And uh, that's one of the big reasons why COVID and, say, the influenza are particularly bad viruses is because they're very, very infectious. Basically, you have one viral particle that gets into your lungs and touches one of your cells inside your lungs. You're infected. Guaranteed. It's just that crazy infectious. Uh, but our bodies have great ways to defend against the viruses. When, you're, when your cell is infected, your cell can't stop the virus from taking over. But what it can do is it sends a signal to your immune system. It's basically taking whatever your cell is making on the inside and sticking it on the outside of the cell, basically saying, hey, look what's going on in here. This is like a, a maintenance check if you want. And then your immune system can see on the surface of your cell what it's making on the inside. And when it has a virus, the cell says, oh my God, I'm being hijacked. Someone pay attention to me. Look over here. And then immune cells come by, can scan the surface of your cell and see, oh crap, this is a virus part. We're going to kill this cell to stop the virus from you know, flooding your entire body. So some, vir some immune cells go around specifically killing all your cells that are infected. And some other immune systems, uh, the, the B cells, they can recognize the virus, learn from it, and then it goes into your immune memory. And then you have, it trains more immune cells to fight that virus. It trains antibodies and a whole bunch of things. And that only works if your cell is infected and making viral parts inside of it and stick them on the surface of the cell. So a lot of the old vaccines, what they do is that they cultivate the viruses and they'd either kill off the virus completely and then take bits of it and then stick those bits of the virus inside of you. Now those viral bits would be floating around in your blood and your immune system would recognize Oh my gosh, there are virus parts here. Let's attack them. And they would learn from that. Those viral parts can't do anything. They're, they're just floating there. So they can't infect your cells and it can't boost your immune memory that way. The mRNA vaccine, the way that one works, it's really cool because we managed to copy some bits of the viral DNA and turn it into RNA. And then we stick that RNA inside of your body. Yes. Uh, Musi, I think you, you should probably mention what's the difference between DNA and, and RNA because I think I know it, but this is something that a lot of people I've seen online and I, I've talked to friends and family and everything. They don't understand the difference. Yeah, that's totally fair. I realized I missed that bit. Uh, so yeah, so the difference between DNA and RNA, the DNA contains all the informations in your cells that they will ever need to do absolutely everything in your life. Your DNA stays the same from the moment you're conceived to the moment of your death. It's your master copy. It's your hard drive. It keeps all the information. Unless you're bombarded with radiation. 
Yes, in that case, you probably get cancer, and that's not good. Okay, so in theory, it's just like the blueprints for me. Yes, it, it contains okay. the blueprints and the instructions and everything. Now, RNA, what RNA does is it copies a tiny little section of that DNA once it goes to find the relevant information to do one specific task. So if the DNA is like your hard drive with all of the information, RNA is kind of like RAM. It's short-term memory. It's a copy of the DNA, and it's used to make proteins, and those proteins do stuff in your body. RNA doesn't last a long, a long time. It's very unstable. Your body wants to keep DNA stable, keeps it safe and protected, but RNA it can make a million copies a day, so even if it degrades, your body doesn't care. So when we have the mRNA vaccine, M stands for messenger RNA, and that's the bit that makes proteins. So we take RNA from the virus that makes viral proteins, we stick that in you, that RNA goes inside your cells. Your cells recognize, hey, this is RNA, we'll make proteins out of it. And it creates viral proteins. Now there is no virus, there is no virus genetic information, there's only the code to create the proteins, and your body can then recognize it. Because your cell, when it's producing that, puts it on the surface and tells the immune system, hey, look, there's viral proteins on the surface here. So the proteins are basically just like flags that stick out of the cell that say, hey, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, proteins are like bits of machinery. And then your, your cell puts all the bits of machinery it's doing on the surface. And then your immune system recognizes, hey, this is a regular human DNA cell. And hey, this is bits of machinery that makes viruses. We don't like those bits. And Nuka, you had a question? Oh, I was going to say, so, so it sort of like, it, it sort of takes the teeth out of the virus. It's like, it's got, it's got the ability to produce stuff, but lacks the ability to produce active virus. Yes. Particles. Because it, it just has, you know, the, the stuff that's put on the outside of the virus. It doesn't have the total virus DNA for it to replicate itself. So, so for people who are, are for people who panic about this, then there's, there's literally no way that you can go from from creating these proteins to accidentally creating a fully functional virus. Absolutely not, not possible, because you're 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 lacking ninety percent of the instructions to make that happen. So it's like you're producing car windshields without the ability to produce the rest of the car. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have car windshields and car doors, but there's none of the parts to make an internal combustion engine. That that little fake car is not going anywhere. And so, yeah, so when we have that mRNA vaccine, it shoots that virus mRNA inside of you, and it gives you a lot better immunity because your body is recognizing and fighting as though it's a real viral infection, as opposed to just bits floating around randomly. Uh, and there's a whole host of other advantages, too, specifically with this vaccine. Uh, little protein bits are very, very finicky. They like to break down. So regular vaccines, you have to keep them really cold to keep them working for a long time. mRNA is much simpler to keep. So you can make mass produce this vaccine and keep it stored at minus 20 instead of minus 100. And then you can go out Celsius, and distribute right? it. right? Yes, or Fahrenheit. Either way, it kind of works. How about Kelvin? Can you go minus 100 Kelvin? Oh, boy. We're trying. <laughs> that's, that's damn cold. That's very darn cold. Uh, that's but yeah. negative cold. Oh, yes. And the other fun part about the mRNA vaccine, and this is in research right now, is that you're not limited to just viruses. Regular vi vaccines, you had to take the virus and break it down so you can inject people with the stuff in it. But mRNA, you can take bits of DNA from anywhere you want. 
And there's some really interesting research being done right now to create an mRNA vaccine against malaria. Malaria kills like 500,000 people a year in Africa. It's a really bad disease. It's not a virus. It's not a bacteria. It's a small parasitic organism. And your body, your immune system has a very hard time finding them and properly attacking them. Now, if we can make an mRNA vaccine, you can take a bit of DNA from that parasite, stick it in the mRNA vaccine, vaccine, vaccinate people, and then it's going to help your body a lot better to recognize and attack this parasite. So this this isn't limited to viruses then? Yes, this opens the door to a whole new array of products and treatments for a whole bunch of stuff that we had no solutions for before. That is really cool. Oh, yeah. Because I know that there's concerns, for example, about uh, like super, I remember I I teach a psychosex class and one of the things we talk about is uh, STIs. And there's this concern about super gonorrhea, which which sounds kind of, you know, you you chuckle when you hear it, but it's it's a real concern that bacterial infections that are becoming uh, resistant to antibiotics, is this a potential solution to that sort of thing? Uh, It could be, depending on the certain kind of bacteria. Bacteria have a whole host of different strategies to avoid our immune system as well. Okay. But this could be used in certain cases, yes. Um, Like there's some bacteria that they have a very thick cell wall of peptidoglycans. It's a very basic kind of bacteria, but it's just basically the the bacteria is covering itself in foam. And then your body just sees this huge lump of foam going by and has no idea what it is or what to do with it. Uh, So the, the mRNA vaccine could be used for a whole host of, you know, other bacteria for sure. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. <laughs> no, that's fair. But I did have another question, if, if you don't have a place you were going with that. Go for it. So I, I'm trying to sort of anticipate questions here that, that I, either I've heard or that I've heard people express concerns about. Um, because I've got family members and friends who are dubious about the vaccine. Uh, so one of the things that I hear being touted around is people saying, oh, but... Um, if the vaccine is working, then it should be impossible to get sick. And people are getting sick from COVID anyways, therefore the vaccine is ineffective. So maybe if you could help sort of set the record straight on that. Like, is it is it possible to get sick with COVID despite having been vaccinated? And does that mean the vaccine is not working? Well, see, the fun thing with biology, the one certain rule about biology is that nothing is certain. In chemistry, in physics, you can deal with probabilities, you can deal with a whole bunch of stuff, and you have some nice hard and fast rules Nature and life in general hates neat little boxes. You're never going to have something that's 100% effective. There's always going to be something somewhere where biology does something weird. So I can't say, you know, the, vi- uh, the vaccine, unless it's 100% effective, it's a failure. No, that, that's not it at all. There's a whole bunch of weird things that can make it so you can still be infected, still have symptoms, still infect other people. But the vaccine makes you much less likely to develop severe symptoms. It helps train your body to fight off the virus more effectively. It doesn't mean that you're immune to it. It just means that if or when you catch it, you're going to fight it off much easier with far lower consequences, and it's going to make it harder for you to infect other people. So so I guess in a way you could say when you're not vaccinated, you go from being a couch potato to doing your full 5K run for the first time with no preparation, and you at, you get at the end of that 5K run, you're completely dead. You're on the ground panting somebody please save me whereas having the, the the vaccine it's like you you just got like three months worth of training you're, you you you've ramped up slowly yeah you're really you, you can still be very very tired at the end of that 5k but you might also be 
ready for another 5k because you've trained so well and your your body is so acclimated already to that run right is, could that be a, a way of explaining it oh absolutely it's uh it's like the virus is holding you at gunpoint and telling you run the 5k and if you've never done it you're gonna have a hard time if you've trained beforehand you know you've trained your immune system with a vaccine it's going to be much easier to go through with it well i think part of the misconception and correct me if i'm wrong here I think part of the misconception people have about like, oh, the virus isn't working because I can get sick is not understanding how the virus works. Like I think people think, well, if the virus can, if a virus particle can get into your cell initially, that means the virus failed. And that's not, that's realizing that the virus doesn't, doesn't mean that the virus can't get into your cell, but it does mean that once uh, a cell is infected, you're much faster at recognizing it, much faster at, at getting that cell taken care of before it becomes a bigger problem. Is, is that oh, yeah, fair? Absolutely. Assessment? Yep. Uh, you can you can see there's there's like a, a general curve of immune activity. When you get infected, you have to go through certain stages. Your body has to recognize that it's being infected. There's a start of some symptoms inside of your body, like uh, immune reactions, and then your immune system kicks in. But when your immune system is trained, it kicks in much faster and much more effectively. The first time you encounter the virus, your body's like, I'm going to try everything and every anything and everything to fight this virus. See what sticks on the wall, see what works. And it's learning to recognize the virus. When you have the vaccine, your body already knows what the virus looks like, already knows what to look for, and already knows how to fight it off. So yeah, it's it's not that it's... The cheat sheet. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important because again, yeah, I think a lot of people, the misconception comes from just, oh, a virus makes it so that your cells are impervious to the virus getting in. I think that when people don't understand the mechanisms... They erroneously believe the virus doesn't work. Oh, I got I, I got infected in the first place, so the virus doesn't work. And, well, no, it, the vaccine doesn't work yet. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the vaccine doesn't work. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. No, the vaccine, I'm sure the, the virus works. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the virus works a little bit too well. I imagine it's going to be very frustrating for you as a person who who understands this stuff to just hear the ignorance as portrayed. Like whenever you listen to a person sort of. Either whether it's on the news, whether it's a person who's expressing. Oh, I spent uh, I spent a lot of time arguing science and philosophy with a whole bunch of people. I've heard a whole bunch of ignorant opinions of people who don't know what the heck they're talking about and think they know more than I do. Uh, so it's they did their research, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They scoured Facebook for all the best posts, and that definitely beats you know whatever you can find in scientific journals. Um, but yeah, but it does give you hope, yeah. though. Which, which again, it's uh, I guess I'm, I'm maybe as a scientist uh, here as well. I'm sympathetic to it because you know I, I I work in a field where people commonly misunderstand the research. I, I do video game violence research, right? And so anytime someone says, "Oh, video games don't cause aggression," you're stupid if you think so. And I'm like, "Well, what's your reasoning for it?" And they'll give me reasons that I have nothing to like that actually have no understanding of how the mind works, of how cognitive priming works, about any of these psychological mechanisms work. And I'm always astounded at how a person who knows so little about a subject can be so confident in saying the wrong things about it. I'm like, you have to at least understand the mechanisms first before you can have a strong opinion about it. And I guess it must, it must be, to me, it would drive me bonkers to hear people saying things that are factually incorrect about a virus that they know nothing about. I'm sure you've heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, yeah. Ah, there we go. The Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> It's basically when you know so little that you have no idea how little you know and how much the other person could know. What I always call the dangerous amount of knowledge. You know, ju just enough 
to, to feel like you're better informed than the average person who knows nothing, mm-hmm. but not enough to know what you don't know. Yep. So basically me, it's just that I know I know nothing. <laughs> so you're beyond that level. See, uh, the way I love to put it is I have a breadth of interest that is as wide as an ocean, but I know it's as deep as a puddle. Well, the uh, a lot of people, a lot of PhD scientists have a, well, for the research, it's a breadth of knowledge, the width of a puddle, but the depth of an ocean. That's, that's when you're doing your PhD research. It's very, very deep yeah. on a very, very narrow topic. Yeah, you become, the, problem, the worst part about that as a person who's done PhD research is everyone assumes you're an idiot because they go, oh, you're a doctor, so you know all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. I know, I, know what, I know so much about this tiny topic, but as soon as you step out of that, I'm just as ignorant as any, any person with a, a, you know, a, a, who, who's partially through an undergrad on the subject. I know all of the stuff there is to know about one specific subject. Oh, yeah. I'm a in a trench. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping at least for the, the, the education in biology and whatnot to pick up because thanks to this mRNA technology, there's a, a whole bunch of new discoveries being made. And they said, you know, there was the first industrial revolution was with steam machines. And then there's a second revolution when we had computers. Well, we're approaching a third revolution where it's going to be biological discoveries. Because we needed to have enough, you know, metal to make the steam engines, and then we needed to have good enough computers or good enough tools to make computers, and now we are starting to get all the tools we need to have a revolution in the biological sciences. And I'm sure it's probably being helped along too by all the positive press. Like I, I do get encouraged when I see um, um, healthcare workers and, and and genetic scientists who are often sort of in the back, you know. They do the work that they do sort of in the background most of the time until, you know, a global pandemic hits and suddenly people, oh, these are the heroes. Suddenly we realize, oh, shit, we really need these people. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's a whole generation of people who seeing this, you know, seeing seeing how quickly a vaccine was developed, seeing uh, all the all the people on the front lines, like being able to take this thing that was that was looming large and be able to sort of get it somewhat under control in a matter of a couple of years. I'm sure there's a whole wave of people in the wings just waiting to, to, to dive into biology as a, a college major as a result. Oh, I certainly hope so, because there's, there's so much potential in that area of research, in that, in that, that domain that's coming. Uh, for example, the new advances with the mRNA vaccine. It is very difficult to grow and cultivate the virus to have enough to make a regular vaccine. It is extremely simple to sequence a copy of the virus know what genes does what, and then pick which bits you want to stick in your mRNA vaccine, boom, you produce, you, you produce 100 million over the weekend. It is tremendously easier to make an mRNA vaccine than a typical vaccine. So when we're... I have we're, no idea. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's orders of magnitude different. Like if you want to sequence and order a copy of DNA for your lab, it's like 50 bucks for 10,000 copies. It's it's gotten to that point where it's really cheap and really easy, and we're on getting... demand proteins or on demand chunks of of, of DNA. RNA. Yeah, and then with a whole bunch of different technologies, like I'm sure you guys have also heard about CRISPR Cas9. I've heard of it. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, if you want to learn more, there's this fantastic channel on YouTube called Acapella Science, and he made a fantastic song about CRISPR Cas9 to the tune of Mr. Sandman. It's it's amazing because the guy has a PhD and all his videos are very scientifically accurate. But yeah, basically what CRISPR-Cas9 is, is it's kind of like, yep, oh, we have a time up. You, you, yep, uh, actually, 
to me, CRISPR Cas9 sounds like a very much like a crispier chip than anything. <laughs> and I think, and I think before we go on that, we should probably take a quick break. Ooh. Get some chips. Some yes. Sackies. Yeah, some chips. Something's so we keep up you. our energy through this next part because yes, I'm super stoked at this. It's a good sign when we're when we're way too into this and we realize, oh shit, we got to take breaks again. <laughs> yeah, that's my job here. That's my job. I have the power. The keeper of nice. the chips. So, so we'll talk about this a little bit more after the break. After these chippy chips, we'll be right back. Somewhere in the mysterious land of Toronto, Canada, Vancouver? Somewhere in the mysterious land of Canada, you are listening to For What It's Worth. And we're back. All right, thanks very much for, for coming back to us after that break. Um, Fire Breath, why don't you tell us a little bit about those uh, lovely idents we've been hearing every so often? Yes, I. they're kind of a weird thing, you know. The, apparently, there's some company or group governmental office thing in the u.s that requires podcasts and radio shows and stuff like that to identify themselves every like few minutes or like halfway through a show or something uh, it's like an identity thing to make sure that people know what they're listening to so we i we have to identify ourselves i think they're called blurbs something ident's like or I dance, maybe? Yeah, I dance. That sounds about right. And we're calling upon our beautiful, lovely viewers with amazing voices to 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 do a few for us. Because you know, there's only so many I can do at some point, and we've been rerunning the same ones for a while, and then we are getting new ones, and that's awesome. So, if you have an idea for an I dance, guys, uh, you know how to reach us and to do it. You have the speak pipe. You can record locally and then send this to us by email. You know, cast that for what it's worth. Just label your email accordingly, and we'll definitely use those. But now, something else. I think uh, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe maybe Roo's still still alive down there in the basement. But I'm hearing this like I thought it was this wailing noise, but I think it's more like this like oh, oh gee, it's getting louder. Oh gosh, oh, yes, I can so hear beautiful. it. Beautiful. It's like angel so voices. Oh. It's like angel voices straight no, to my brain. That's definitely not Rue crying in the basement. That sound, of course, refers to our Patreons, our lovely, lovely Patreons. This is the time when we give thanks to them for helping make this show possible. Patreons like our lovely Patreons Sly, Ashton Circle, Yarrow, Spirit Wolf, Big Bear Luno, GW, Some Jerk Named Nuka, Koru, Bubble Whip, Adelora Solfair, Moss, Cabogriff, Aussie K, Black Bald Rick, 
Ligris. Kit. Ichigo Okami. Simone Parker. Guardian Lion. Rifka Fox. And Harlan Fox. We thank you very much for your continued patronage. If you're interested yourself in becoming a Patreon yourself, uh, please check out patreon.com slash for what it's worth for FWIW. But uh, look us up there and uh, please get involved. We really appreciate it. Except for that Nuka guy. We, we don't really thank him. Nuka. I don't know. Yeah, we, we, he should be in the basement with uh, with Rue down there, locked up somewhere. But, oh, man, that'd be spicy quickly. Speaking of spicy, let's talk about genetics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unzip our genes, right? <laughs> well, so I think I made some spicy crisps, so that's perfectly handy. So I think just before the break, we started to talk about CRISPR, and I think uh, a lot of folks are interested in, I, I know if you've heard of CRISPR before, people have heard about some of these these things you can do with CRISPR. So maybe why don't you explain what CRISPR is to the, 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 the folks who, who may have heard that it's amazing, but have no idea what it is. Yes, so I'll go through the uh, lovely for me, and probably very boring for most other people, the nitty gritty of the science, and then explain why everybody should be amazed at this. So... The, uh, the quick and dirty of it is that we have an immune system, you know, animals and mammals and whatnot, and bacteria don't. Except they kind of do. You remember that thing I said where biology hates, you know, clear line answers? That's one of those cases. Bacteria kind of have a sort of immune system with the CRISPR-Cas9 protein. And they develop this because when the virus gets into the bacteria and starts reprodu reproducing itself, well, the CRISPR-Cas9 protein goes in and it chops up the viral DNA so it can't work anymore. But the handy thing about this is that it, doesn't, it wasn't evolved to recognize a specific DNA sequence. It was evolved to recognize like the, uh, the, uh, the bacteria can basically load, save templates into it, if you will. And you can change the template so the same protein can target any sequence you want. So as, as the bacteria gets attacked by viruses, and it survives the attack via the virus, it can save up a bit of that viral DNA and use it to chop up the other viruses that come to attack it. Now, what we've done is we've taken that tool from the bacteria and we produce it for ourselves and we can load it with any simple template we want to target any DNA sequence. The reason why this is amazing is because there's a lot and a lot and a lot of information in DNA. So you remember earlier I said that DNA is kind of like your hard drive? Imagine it's a giant library instead. And when you want to find a specific protein, it's like one sentence in a specific book. Somewhere in this library. Somewhere in that library, there is that one sentence that you want. And it's a hell of a hard job to try and go and find it. And the tools that we had before, it kind of, it worked-ish, but it's, it's a very hacked way to do it. It's basically you search by saying, okay, I'm looking for a book by this author published in that year. And then this is the page number. So you'd look through the entire library for a book by that author published in that year and rip out that specific page. Well, you ripped out not just the one sentence that you wanted, but you found a whole bunch of sentences all around on the page too. And then you'd have to further cut that down. And if in that library, there are two authors with the same last name, well, you just pulled out a completely random book and pulled a page from that book too. If an author published two books in the same year, again, you pull that two books and you're ripping pages that, where you don't want them to be ripped. CRISPR-Cas9 is much more specific. You can basically tell it, okay, I'm looking for these precise sentences that are absolutely identical. Like, I want you to find me the sequence that's identical to these three sentences and cut it right in the middle. 
So it doesn't matter if you have one library, 10 libraries, 100 libraries. It's so specific that it will find you only the sequence you want and cut it exactly where you want it. So that allows much finer detail. It's basically the difference between doing surgery with a hacksaw and a hammer versus doing surgery with a scalpel. This is the step we're getting at in biological sciences. This is why there's a, a biological revolution coming because we now have these fine tools that we never had before. We were kind of bumbling around in the dark, tripping over the books in the library, trying to find what we want. And now we can just control F, found it, and voila. So I think the important question that all the furries listening have in mind is, okay, how do we use this to get ears and tails? <laughs> yes. Um, if you don't have, if you want to insert DNA into someone else's genome, you have to know where to insert it and how to insert it. And basically, you can't do that when you're ripping out pages. Just a question. Yes. Um, when you say genome, what do you mean for somebody who, like me, is completely stupid and doesn't know these things? <laughs> I absolutely do not know, right? Genome just basically means all of your DNA, all of your hard drive, all of your library, all of that genetic information is your genome. Okay, so it's basically a synonym for my blueprint, personal blueprint. Yes, the sum okay. of all of your DNA. Okay. Um, so what it allows you to do is say you want to have, um, the reflective eyes for cats and dogs. We humans don't have that. That's a gene that's not in our DNA. With CRISPR-Cas9, you can go find it in their DNA, cut out that bit specifically, find the good spot in our DNA and paste it in right there. Whereas before you'd have to be tearing off a whole page, cutting it down, hoping you get the right bit and then sticking it in. Now it's much more selective, much more accurate. And it's not just finding, you know, what to cut, but where to cut. Because if you take a gene that you want from the cat to get the glowing eyes in the dark, and then you paste that right on top of a gene that you already have, like smack in the middle, well, that gene is now destroyed. And if it's the gene that's responsible for, say, making sure your heart works well, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> so CRISPR can do all kinds of things. It finds where you want to cut. It finds what you want. It can remove specifically that one place you want and insert it exactly where you want it to be and nowhere else. So it's copy-paste genetics, basically. Yes, exactly. Well, it's more like the, 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 the find control F for the specific bits and the specific parts you want. Because again, we, we can cut and paste from the whole page that you tore out from the book. It's just now it's much more precise and much more. A bunch of other crap comes along with it. Yes, exactly. So then you can go specifically for the genes that you want. And the fun part too with that is you don't have to take just the regular fox fur pattern, say. Because the, the genes that control the color of the fox's fur, there's the different colors. You know, there's the black, there's the white, there's the red. And then there's the, 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 the longer outer hair and there's a thinner guard hair. You can then mix and match with that DNA. You can take the DNA from jellyfish that glows in the dark, stick it into the fox fur DNA, and then put that into someone. And then you have fur that glows in the dark in specific places. Hello, and sparkle that... dogs. Yes, exactly. We can create eventually sparkle dogs for real. This is amazing stuff. This is both scary and amazing at the same time because yes. sparkle dogs in real life, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're so already doing this sort of thing already, aren't they? Like I've heard, I've heard talk about taking glowing genes and putting them into like, like they've got rats that glow already, right? They've yes. done that. Glow in the dark rats, yes. Uh, I remember seeing a, a, a small uh, documentary, like 35 minutes, 45 minutes, 
on a guy that was doing that in his backyard. Like he has like this shed in the back where he has rats and he's actually doing genetic manipulations on his rats. And one of them was exactly that one. It's like, oh yeah, I just want to, I wanted to see if I could make my rats glow in the dark. So I took this gene from something or other, I, I manipulated it. Then I injected that into the, the egg, unfertilized eggs. So it was becoming fertilized. And then the, the, the rat grew and yeah, it glow in the dark. It's very mild, but it still glows. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can do that at home, we're at the point where somebody can do that in their backyard is both absolutely amazing to me and excessively scary. Yes. See, the the part that I was very interested in when I was writing my pathogen virus story is because it's very hard to turn a, a mature organism, like a, an adult person, and turn them into a furry. Because your body is done growing, your body is done changing. You exist to keep living and have children, basically. Your body doesn't want to change all that much. When you're making genetic modifications like that, if you want to change the whole organism, you have to change all the cells in your body. And you have billions of cells, so going one by one and changing all of them is going to be very difficult. That's why, you know, with a glowing, uh, glowing rat, you went and you changed the cells before they get fertilized. The stem cells? or yeah. The stem cells. And so that when your cells divide, all of the cells have the same genetically modified information that the first one had. Now, the other kind of worrisome bit about biology, um, things generally don't stop with one generation. Things want to continue living. And so those genetic modifications will continue living in the next generations. So then, yeah, we're going to have to be very careful unless we want to have, after like five generations, just hybrids of everything and anything and there's nothing really recognizable anymore so if you give yourself a glow-in-the-dark foxtail uh you're sort of committing yourself to having uh progeny which themselves will also potentially have glow-in-the-dark foxtails potentially but there's also another solution this is again this is why i love the, the, the beginning of the biological revolution because we are we're now having a whole bunch of tools that we didn't have before before, if you wanted to have a glow-in-the-dark tail, you had to change your DNA, you had to make it when you were young, and it would mean that your kids would have the same as you because your DNA was changed. Not necessarily true anymore. Because, I'm sure you guys have heard of 3D printing, right? You make little plastic yes. models? Yep, We absolutely. can now, we're starting to 3D print organs. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> and they unexpected. Make, yes, they make a scaffold in the shape of an ear, and then they 3D print stem cells on that scaffold with the shape of an ear, and they grow and they differentiate to replicate an ear. Oh, so you gra- and then you graft it onto the organism. Exactly. And then this is where the fun begins. Because if you can graft ears, they're going to start making you with organs. You have a heart attack. Cool. We're going to take stem cells from you, 3D print them onto a shell in the shape of a heart, grow a new heart, from your own cells and then stick that heart back into you. Well, what if we took that heart and then we genetically modified it before we put it back into you? What if we have, instead of grafting an organ that already exists, what if we 3D printed a tail with your own stem cells that we genetically modified with a glow-in-the-dark fox fur DNA? Then you're going to have a genetically modified fox tail with the glow-in-the-dark fur attached to your butt and the DNA is all in there, and the, the, the tail is alive. It is yours, but it does not pass on to your children. Now, because I, it's I not... have a question about this, though. 
Yes. Because so often do we hear like, oh, somebody cut off their finger and there's only so much time before they can put it back. Otherwise, the nerve endings die and everything. Are we at a point from, you probably don't know this, but, and you're probably seeing me coming with my question here, but are we at a point where we can say, oh, we're just going to graft on a, a tail that will actually wag or will it just flop down because we can't control it yet? Because the nerves don't attach or the muscles or whatever. We can't control it yet. But the, the very interesting thing too is, like for example, to control the ears on a fox or on a cat or whatever, there's like a set of, I think it's like 10 or so muscles. And we have most of those muscles around our ears, but they don't do anything because our ears are not in the right shape to be able to be moved. So we have most of those muscles. We have the, the attachment for it, if you want. When you fall on your butt and you hurt your tailbone, it's called a tailbone for a reason. It's because it's the bones that would make a tailbone noise. Now, the difference between humans and foxes, say, is when you're developing in the womb, your cells turn on and off certain genes to make you grow in a certain way. So it's not that you have genes for no tail and then a fox has genes for a tail. We all have the genes for the tail. It's just that when you're in the womb, when you're growing, the genes for tail are turned off. They don't develop. They're still there. They're not grown. The nerves are still there, but they're not attached to muscles because there's no muscles and no, mu no bones for them to attach to. And it's but there because of our evolutionary ancestors, right? Exactly. So the equivalent is basically like saying that, you know, we have all the electrical wiring done, but it's all hidden behind the drywall. It's there and you can plug it in. You just need to kind of dig it out and connect it. That's actually quite cool. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to have the foxtail with the bone for the tail. You're going to have the muscles grown on the tail. You're going to have the nerves on the tail because all of those stem cells grow together to make a fully functional tail that could work. And the only thing you need to do is connect the nerves in the tail to the nerves in your tailbone. Then it's going to be a heck of a lot of learning. It's basically like physiotherapy, learning how to wag your tail properly. Because at first, it's going to twitch and flail completely at random. You will have no control whatsoever. That tail is going to go left, right, center. It might be matching when you step. You know, every time you take a step forward with your left foot, or your tail is going to wag left, and it's going to throw you off balance. But eventually, your brain can learn how to re, uh, retrain itself to control those muscles. Neuroplasticity, so yes, yeah. Exactly. Because I imagine this would be easier in a younger person than an older person, because as you get older, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, parts of your brain become not, not, not rigid and solidified, but you know, you have a chunk of your brain that's responsible for moving your left arm, a chunk of your brain for your right arm. And so if you've gone 40 years without having a part of your brain that goes the tail moving, that's going to be some serious having to restructure how your brain works. The fun thing about that, that keyword there, neuroplasticity, what that means is how, how easy it is for your brain to adapt to a new task neuro neurons brain plasticity plastic stretch kind of like play-doh and they're finding that neuroplasticity actually doesn't degrade nearly as much as they thought it would so even when you're older you can still train you can still get it it's not going to be as fast as say a four-year-old because a four-year-old's brain is all over the place and doesn't know what it's doing either it's a giant it's learning <laughs> yeah and as you're older even if your brain has a little bit of trouble they're finding out that they can just basically inject some stem cells into your brain 
And those stem cells will naturally go where your brain is having difficulty and fix the problems a bit. That's impressive. Now, if we want to be really, really funky, we can also take some of those genetically modified stem cells to go into your brain and make them glow in the dark whenever they're doing something in your brain. <laughs> it's, you need it's a possible. window to your soul at that point, though, to be yep. able to see it. Yep. But it's, it's insane. But it's entirely possible. There's nothing that says we cannot do this. It's just so, a question of learning how and being able to do it. So a question that I have then is, so what? So, how, so let's say you 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 take my stem cells, you grow this this tail of mine, you, you slap it on my butt. Um, so at some point, at the point of contact, right? We now have cells, my original cells, and we have cells that are mine, but they're different. So the DNA is now different between them. You have two of my cells, but with with different DNA between them. Is there any concern? Is does that do anything? Like, is there any concern that, for example, my body might look at these, my my immune system might look at these new cells and be like? the hell are those? Those aren't me and like reject them or something or? Yes, exactly. That is a big concern. Um, the reason I was saying earlier, you know, when you have a heart attack, we'll grow a new heart for you and put it in is that not everyone's, not everyone's body is the same. And if you get a heart transplant from someone who's not compatible, your body will reject it. And that means your immune system will see the heart and say, Hey, that's not mine and attack it. And when your body is trying to kill your own heart, that's kind of a problem. So yes, that could be a problem with the tail. Uh, the biggest problem is the more you modify proteins that your body doesn't recognize. The more you create those, the higher the likelihood of your immune system attacking it. And this is probably going to be the biggest mystery on figuring out how to make it work. Like if we're turning someone into, sorry, an anthropomorphic animal, a furry, you don't have to mess with the brain too much. Even if we don't understand how the brain works, we're not operating inside your skull. We're just adding stuff on the outside of you. But the immune system is incredibly complex, and we're still learning a whole bunch of stuff about how it works. Uh, some people develop diabetes like that. There's no clear, obvious reason. It's not that because they're eating bad. It's just at one point, their body, their immune system decides, hey, these cells that make insulin, we don't like them anymore and kill them. Just, just like that, out of the blue. Take that, insulin. <laughs> exactly. Uh, people can develop and lose allergies, and we're still not quite sure how that works. Not, not the allergic reaction, but how you can stop being allergic or start being allergic. Uh, if you have an injury inside of your eyeball, and you have a blood vessel that bursts inside of your eyeballs, your immune system does not recognize the sight cells basically inside your eye and will start attacking them and you will go blind in one eye. And the reason why you don't go blind is because normally your immune system doesn't go there. There's a separation in the membrane between where the immune system is and where the rest of those cells are to work. But once you pierce that. Yes. Which is also so the, called the blood-brain barrier, if I remember correctly, yes, about your brain, yes, right? Exactly. Because the immune system, uh, when it detects that cells are infected by the virus, uh, it goes in guns blazing. It doesn't particularly care. If it thinks a cell might be infected, it's just going to shotgun the entire area in the hopes of getting rid of the virus. That's a bad thing if it happens in your brain. So yes, there's the blood-brain barrier exactly to prevent that. So if we can engineer some kind of blood-brain barrier 
inside the tail or whatnot that could protect you. If you can make it so that the cells that create, say, the fur proteins don't face towards the blood vessels, but they're only facing outside the body, then your immune system doesn't like go outside of your body to crawl back in. It won't see it. So there's that figuring out that issue of immune rejection is probably going to be the single biggest obstacle we have to turning people into furry bodies. Well, it does suggest something interesting too that you, you pointed out, which I'm a huge science fiction junkie. So this is like right up my, my, my alley. This is my jam. Um, but I, I love the idea, for example, of uh, talking about um, uh, cyberpunk, one of my favorite genres. And the notion, like there's this notion in cyberpunk when you get technology put into your body, that there's sort of, not, not like there's kind of a hard limit. Like after some point, you cross some threshold where it's too much and, and you've lost some part of yourself. And I wonder about, you know, philosophically at least, if when it comes to these changes, it's almost sounds like there's like a threat, you know, not a threshold, but like there, as you get further and further along, the more foreign the thing you're trying to attach to yourself is, like the more it differs from your original DNA, the more red flags it's going to waste, the more you run the chance of kind of tripping up your immune system versus if the kinds of changes you're making are super, super gravid, making your eight ears a little bit more pointy versus like making them gigantic in an entirely different color, right? The more changes you make, the more likely you are to trip a few, so to speak. The fun thing with tripping a fuse is that your body doesn't care about the shape of a thing. It cares more about what it's made of. So if you take your ears and then you 3D print yourself some giant bat ears with nothing but human cells, no genetic modification whatsoever, okay? So you get these giant bat ears, but they're all made of human cells. Your body's like, well, this is all human. This is all me. I don't care. I'm fine. So it's not about the shape. It's not about the size. For a muzzle, you can get, uh, it's going to be extremely invasive and painful and difficult, but you could get reconstructive surgery where they'll basically have to remove the bottom half of your face and then put a muzzle in to replace it. But if that muzzle is grown with human cells, it's going to look really freaky that you have a human muzzle. You know, there's no fur. There's going to be human teeth. Someone's into that. Referring, someone's into that. I mean, if that's, if that's what happened with the Sonic movie, wasn't it? Oh, yes, before the change. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, I still can't believe that the internet cyber bullied a movie studio into changing. It was for I a can. good cause, but still. <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah. you were saying, sorry. There, it's, it's, um... It wouldn't reject the muzzle, then. No, it yeah. Was, as long as it was made of... of you (laughs) if you start putting in bird feathers uh reptile scales a whole bunch of really exotic you know the further you go from human the more likely there's going to be an immune reaction so yeah it's not so much about the amount of change it's about how far that change is from a human genetically but if we're done with that before yeah yeah it's because it's it's the way that it recognizes what's the self and not the self is really cool. And if we can figure how to change that, that would solve all the problems. That's kind of like the holy grail of immune system. Um, <laughs> we all know, for example, like uh, alligators can regrow lost limbs and stuff. Like not, not a whole arm, but say if their, their wrist is eaten off, it can start regrowing or for some of the smaller reptiles. When they do that, they found out that they basically turn off their immune system for a while to let the stem cells regrow back into a hand because it's like kind of going back into a a fetal stage if you want. 
and then it lets it grow, and then it turns the immune system back on. So if we can do that under controlled conditions in a hospital, that'd be fantastic. Just turn off your immune system, make all the changes, and then we'll know that you know your body won't reject the changes once it's done, and then turn your immune system back on. So there's still several steps that are necessary for us to get to the furry body, but we're working on it, and we're getting more and more tools on how to change that. So I gotta ask. This has gotta be whenever you start talking about uh, like making your making your pet rat glow bright green, or you know, uh, starting to add add and make significant changes to the body. And again, science based junk in me. One of the big philosophical questions that comes up when you start uh, putting technology into the body is: Do we lose the soul? Do we lose some part of what makes you you? Uh, when it comes to genetics, I guess the maybe the the philosophical equivalent is like: Is this right? Is this ethical? Is this a thing we ought to be doing? Uh, I, I have here uh, the, the quote from Ian Malcolm from uh, Jurassic Park, right? Your scientists were so busy uh, trying to, to see if they could that they never stopped to think, you know, should they or whether they should. So your take on that, is this a thing we, we, we ought to be messing with? Are there maybe restrictions or limitations we ought to be putting? Or, or should we just let people go hog wild with this and see what happens? Um, there are some very severe restrictions we need to put while we don't know what we're doing. You're talking about that dangerous level of knowledge. We're there. <laughs> we're there. Uh, because like I said, anyone can get any DNA sample pretty easily. Obviously they're keeping track of that to make sure people don't just order random bits of DNA. Like if someone orders Ebola DNA, the government is going to come asking questions. They keep track of that. They don't want people messing with that. But the closer we get to genetic modifications, the easier it is to do something wrong with it. So there's definitely a lot of ethical questions of we really shouldn't right now because we can mess really bad and we still don't know how to fix it. We're a toddler playing with a handgun right now. <laughs> uh, toddler playing with a handgun, a match, a can of gasoline, and a hand grenade. Yes. See, I, the, all I'm thinking about right now is... Uh, that kid in the U.S. that actually made a nuclear reactor. Yes, back yeah. in the '80s or '90s or something. Yep. Yeah. That, this is this is the battery. image I'm getting right now. Is we we have so much knowledge that is really really cool and we could really use for good, but it only takes a slight mistake to make it explode. From what I understand, it just takes the one idiot for things to go bad. Um, but ethically, in the future. Assuming the technology is there, assuming it's safe, assuming it doesn't cause mutations in your children and whatnot, is it ethical? Do we lose what it means to be human? To me, ethics is mostly about does it cause harm? Does it harm people? No. Why would it be unethical? Do we lose our soul? Do we lose what it means to be human? Are you less human because you're paraplegic, because you've lost your legs? Is it your body that makes you human? Or is it your thoughts? Now, you might say, oh, yes. Well, when you are, you know, a furry, it changes your thoughts because you have new feelings, new sensations. You don't see the world the same way. And that is true. But does that make you less human or just human in a different way? So plus I don't human see... or human plus. Yeah. Human yes. Else. It's not necessarily human, human plus. It's more like there's this identity of human, like this bubble. And this bubble is now getting bigger. It's not human plus, like something separate and distinct with an upgrade. It's just expanding the bubble of what it means to be human. We're still all human. And I'll take it one step further. 
Eventually, we'll probably be able to upload our minds into a computer. Does it stop being human because it's running on hard drive instead of, you know, the jello we have in our brain? Probably not. So that, that expands the definition of what it means to be human. It gives us a new perspective, a new way of looking at things, but it doesn't make us lesser. It doesn't turn us into animals unless, like, you accidentally melt your brain. But that goes back to harm. That is harmful and that is bad, so we'll try not to do that. So if I could, before we go to the break, if I could ask one more, one more question then. Ask you to, to, to play devil's advocate here. So um, I, I'm a furry, and I want to just I just want to start slapping slapping every every I want to get fur, I want to get tails, I want to get ears, I want to get you know maws and paws and everything. So are there things that I need to be considering? So so from an ethical perspective, are there things that maybe every 17 year old furry listener out there is is thinking you know they're excited about this that they may not be considering that maybe from, a, from an ethics perspective or for a person who knows more maybe they ought to be considering first. Well, um, are we talking Doors. about like the... the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Careful when you close the door behind you not to pinch your tail. And I, the I, chairs I, and... If you want to make it practical, both ethical and or practical, what are things that they may not be considering that maybe maybe they ought to be considering before they would elect to sign up for a list where they change themselves entirely? I think the biggest problem is not going to be with the person who signs up to do it because they're obviously willing. If it's safe, there's no ethical harm with it. The problem is this. Uh, evolution works over a very long and slow timeline. We evolved to be apes in the savannah where there are no trees. And then we culturally changed so that we have, you know, hunter-gatherer tribes. The overwhelming majority of human history in terms of like history and culture is a blink of an eye in terms of human evolution. For 95% plus of the human, you know, homo sapiens history, we've been monkeys living in hunter-gatherer tribes in the, in the savannah. In the last 6,000 years, we developed culture, we developed writing, we developed ethics, we developed philosophy, we developed technology. And in the last 200 years, we've developed enough technology to utterly destroy the planet we're on. And go to space. Our brains have not caught up with all of the advances and all the changes we've made, even just like 200 years ago, we still had slaves. The treatment of gay people has only been really good in some parts of the world for the last few decades. The problem is not going to be with a person who's signing up for this. The problem is going to come from society not being ready for it and not accepting it. Uh, uh, so when you fashion, change... In that fashion, I'd be saying, you know, just look at transgender people. Exactly. You know? We, we we as a society, as a species, still have issues in general. I'm not saying everyone does, okay? But as a species, there's still a lot of pushback on this because we still think a lot about, you know, gender and sex being the same thing and being absolutely binary because that's how we were brought up to see things. Even though intersex people do exist, you know, they always have. They're, they're just not visible. So technically, even the binary aspect of it is wrong but you say you know it's going to be the people that's going to be the issue and my mind directly went there because it's a problem we're still having today with something that is real that is measurable that is verifiable and is happening right the f now oh, yes. <laughs> so imagine going so going even further and this is this is something about core identity that we don't choose about ourselves right so imagine saying, well, you chose to have a tail, you chose to have ears, 
you chose to be ostracized. So this is where my mind is going with this, exactly as you were saying, is as a society, are we ready to accept people that are willing to do these body modifications? Some people have problems with tattoos or piercings. How are they going to feel about a friggin' tail? Or, hey, I decide to have fox fur all over me, you know? <laughs> the, the good news on the other hand, though, is 200 years ago, we had problems with people who had different skin color. A hundred years ago, we had problems deciding whether or not you should be able you should be able to vote if you have a vagina. Nowadays, uh, I say fifty years ago, it was uh, the whole gay LGBTQ. You know, should you be allowed to live if you're gay? Now our struggle is with transgender. There's always these kinds of struggle, but there is progress. It's going to be very difficult for the people who take that step and who get their fur grafted onto them. And being the first, it's going to be extremely difficult. But for there to be change, you always need a first. So the first person is going to be hard. The second person is going to be hard. But the more people go in that direction, the more normalized it becomes, the more popular and understood it becomes, it'll stop being a problem. All I can think of now is Google Glass and the people getting punched in the face for wearing Google Glass being the early adapters <laughs> of Google. All right, so I think we need to uh, throw it to a break here. Uh, when we come back from the break, we can uh, have some sort of final thoughts about this subject. So, once more with our beautiful scientists. They're all mine. I shall rule the world using them. <laughs> I'm way too stupid to rule the world. Someone needs to go into the basement with Rue. Please don't lock me in the basement. <laughs> no. It scares uh, me. Mind you, there's cookies. Mm. And there's a reason I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> cookies are good. Uh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. So uh, this has been a roller coaster of, a, of an episode. I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot and it was super interesting. And there's tons of more questions that I'm sure I'm not the only one that has them. I'm sure Nuka has them. And I'm sure a lot of our audience has tons of questions. It's such an interesting topic. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I had a blast with this one. Absolutely loved it. I love geeking out about science stuff, furry stuff, the whole package. I love it. So I guess if we were to wrap it up and sort of put up final thoughts here, so what would it, what are we all thinking here? Um, did you want to sort of was that your final thoughts, Sprite Breath, or did you have sort of a final take home? Based Personally, on your... it's one. Of, I'm really on the cusp of finding this super interesting and super scary at the same time for a variety of reasons, uh, and it, it it kind of feels like one of those horror movies where you really want to go in and be scared because that's what you want. But at the same time, I'm so amazed by what 
we as a society, as a species have accomplished and seeing that we're just on the cusp of, again, a new revolution, something to make us even bigger and better, hopefully better as a species. And I really want to see where this is going and how it can be applied to a number of people that have issues. Like for those who don't know, my mom is blind and I'm listening to, to Moosey here and I'm like, who knows what this could do for her had she been younger because she has a, 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 a an illness, right? So it's not from birth. It's something that was degradation. So I'm like, who knows what this could do for people in her situation? And it makes me excited. And obviously the whole ethical aspect and what could happen is also a little bit scary, but it's exciting at the very least in every, in every possible ways. What are the, I guess if I had to, chime with a final thought here. Um, what's always wonderfully humbling about being a scientist is learning how little you know about the things outside your field, right? Uh, when I was in undergrad, I took a bunch of genetics, I took a bunch of uh, biology, I was pre-med before I switched into psychology. And so, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, I got a pretty good grasp of genetics. I got a pretty good grasp of the basics of, you know, biology and cellular biology and stuff. And then to find out that in the, the, the 15 years since I was doing that stuff in undergrad, I mean, everything I learned is like obsolete. Like the, you know, uh, I thought I, in my head, I'm like, this stuff is so far in the future. This stuff just couldn't happen by any means, any technology we have today. And then to find out how far it's come so quickly and like, holy shit, these things that I thought were, were moonshot thinking are like on the, we're on the precipice of being able to do it. Uh, it's so exciting to me to learn that, that man, in their own respective fields, scientists are just unbelievable. Uh, so that's been exciting today. I wanted to thank Moosey for um, letting me, giving me the opportunity to be that excited little kid, right? Holy crap, this is so exciting. Oh, you're very welcome. And yeah, I find this so fascinating, so exciting too. Uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing where all of this is going to go. I'm not terribly worried because uh, we we know that things can go wrong and there's a whole lot of safeguards put in place to stop us from going too far. Um, we're going to be careful with that, but yeah, no, the future, like I'm saying, there's, there's probably going to be a third revolution coming up in the future of biotechnology, biological sciences, the whole shebang. So keep a close eye on that. It's going to help cure a whole lot of diseases. It's going to open up a whole lot of options for, um, what is it called? Uh, it's, it's instead of plastic surgery, we'll have like plastic genetic therapy. To have genetic therapy to correct things, to make things look better, to put things amazing, you know, to have glow-in-the-dark hair if you want. And eventually that will lead to furry stuff. We will be having, you know, people with tails walking around. It's possible. It's going to happen. And that biological revolution, the, the next resource to look at is going to be genetic information. Because you can't just create that out of thin air. It's much better usually to take that information from somewhere else. And the largest deposits of all that genetic richness, if you want, unfortunately, are kind of under attack on the planet. If we want to be able to use that genetic information, we have to make sure that it survives in the future. We have to make sure, you know, to, to protect our ecosystems, to protect uh, the entire planet, essentially, against climate change, against catastrophes and whatnot. So biodiversity just took a whole new meaning right there. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's, it's not just, you know, this abstract, 
we have to save the planet because the trees are nice. No, there's a whole lot of things in there that can help make our lives so much better. And it's all going to be gone if we're not careful in protecting it. Well, yeah, that's, look forward uh, to the future. Deep. Look forward to the future and let's all care for the planet together. Let's be good stewards of the earth and make sure that we have this wonderful future waiting for us. I can't think Just of so we can all have tales. <laughs> yes. I, I can't think of a better uh, sentiment to, 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 to leave on. So, uh, yeah, I think we have, uh, we, I don't think we have anything in the mailbag this week. Uh, on account well, of the subject shifting in the last minute, but we'll... Uh, yeah, exactly. So, the, the, unfortunately, we didn't have time for, for that due to the... Circumstances, circumstances, yeah. So. Yeah, so we're sorry about that, guys. So, we're not going to end up visit for today. Uh, but, that said, uh, we do have some house creeping. Yeah, we, we, we do have some housekeeping. I've got my broom right here ready to go. So uh, thank you very much, Be Creative, or Moosey, as I like to call him, Headsticks, Toy Store, because, you know, antlers grow on his head and dogs love to chew, right? So uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's excessively appreciated, and your insight was absolutely invaluable. Thank you very much, Nuka, for uh, co-hosting this and having such a great vibe with our Moosey friend here. You know, that, that was amazing. Thank you very much for the both of you having me on. I absolutely loved this, and I hope to be able to do the same, you know, on another topic another time, possibly. I'd love to be Or back. maybe even some update on some breakthrough. Who knows? The future yeah. is bright. And as usual, guys, uh, you can find all of our uh, podcasts and information on the our site at uh, forwhatitsworth.com. Our Twitter is at forwhatitsworth. You can also find us on Facebook, which has been revived as Lazarus Risen, some zombie thing from a digger from the dead. Uh, you can also find us on Telegram, on, uh, and you can contact Rue at Wine Red Fox. Jeez, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> to be added to the Telegram chat. You can also email the cast at cast at forwhatitsworth.com or through individual emails such as mine, which is firebreath at forwhatitsworth.com. Moosey does not have an email at the cast, but uh, I'm sure that uh, if he wants to be uh, contacted, we'll, he'll probably figure something out. You can find uh, me on we have our speak oh, oh, oh. Sorry. You can find me on Furfinity, uh, B-C-R-E-8-T-V-E, and on there you have my Discord and Telegram. I always welcome chats and notes. I'm looking forward to talking to you people. Well, there you go. Uh, you also have our SpeakPipe. If you want to talk to us, leave us a message or record an ident. Uh, it's speakpipe.com slash FWIW. And help us grow, guys. We we are a small-ish podcast, but uh, the more we grow, the more resources we can have. So tell a friend, force them to listen, or invite them on the podcast if you're one of the cast. It seems to work. So if uh, uh, if they want to be continuing to listen to us in the future, what, uh, what do we have coming up here? What's our next episode, Paragraph? Actually, it's going to be an interesting one. It's the it's a furry slash cake events, something that a lot of us have been doing for a while, either furry, kink, or both at the same time. Por qué no los dos? So that'll be an interesting uh, an interesting take on the, the the topic. Looking forward to that. But so I think that'll wrap it up here. Anything uh, other than your website you'd like to plug in, uh, Lucy? Uh, well, that's, that's where you'll find most of the contact information to find me. All right. So, um, well, guys, uh, this has been Fire Breath. I've been Nuka. This is Be Creative Moose. 
And this has been For, for What, what It's Worth. worth.